um, but, but, but the point of it is that the more you ask and the more times you hear no, the less impact every no that you hear is going to have on you. And that is a, this is a central element is that if you ask no one time on something that's huge and you get, and you get a no, it can be devastating. But if you realize that life is a long series of asking for things and the majority of things you ask for, you're going to hear no to, then it just, you know, you start to get a little bit, a little bit calmed down. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your host, Nate and Brian, hanging out with you, and we are looking forward to re-inviting some former guests to the show. Returning now with a new book, we have Richard Fenton and Andrea Waltz, the authors of the original Go For No book that was so popular, uh, one of our popular episodes on the podcast a little bit ago, and we're really looking forward to engaging with them again on the concepts they've had in that book, as well as their new book, coming out soon when they say no. But of course, before we do that, we're going to have a little bit of a breakdown for ourselves. We're going to turn to Brian for our quote. To sell is to serve. Selling is doing something for the client, not to the client. Richard Fenton on the Waste No Day podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Richard and Andrea, like, constantly got back to that principle on the first episode uh, they did on the Waste No Day podcast, which is like they're fans of selling. They're fans of the selling system. They're fans of what it does for people. They tell stories um, both in the, in the episode and the books about how important certain selling situations are and were for them. I love people who are fans of selling as a profession on its own. Maybe not a profession, but maybe how it adds to everything else. You know, it's like that Jordan Peterson quote we used a few weeks ago, which was, I'm saying, I don't care if you're a carpenter, becoming a better communicator will make you a thousand times better at being a carpenter. Like whatever you're doing, being a better communicator will make you better at it. And becoming a better salesperson is simply, there's no difference. It is just becoming a better communicator. It it is really incredible, Brian. Um, Mike and I here at the office, we sat through a, uh, we're looking at upgrading our phones. And so we sat through a demo uh, the other week. And it was, uh, it was an online demo with, you know, a three person sales team and they were showing us this new platform and everything. Are you going to make fun of them? And the guy who launched, who launched the show. Wow. So you want to hear how Mike explained it to me? This is great. (laughs) So he said, picture your lack of attention to detail. (laughs) 
and Nate's lack of a dynamic presentation. <laughs> he said it was it was taking the worst parts of both of you and making a sales presenter out of it. Yeah, and that's probably giving it a little too much credit. It was tough times. Wow. And it was like an hour long of him not realizing that we were not tracking with him at all. Uh, and so that just goes to show that sales is, is important for the obvious reasons, of course, but also for like the sheer sake of being able to effectively get somebody enthused about what you are talking about. You know, <clears throat> we've mentioned it before about you know, selling comes in all different flavors, you know, going to the Starbucks and, and, and having them give you the correct drink. You're selling yourself, you're selling your personality or going to a restaurant and not being a total jerk or going to any other like customer service place and like, you know, giving them the respect and honor that they deserve is, is you selling yourself so that they take care of you well. And it goes on beyond that, of course, in our career and on this podcast, what we talk about so often is the ability to sell and communicate to a client, not only for your own benefit in terms of what it's going to mean for you, your income, your family, and everything that goes with that, but of course, for their ability to enjoy a product, a service, uh, or, or, you know, something that you're offering them that is going to literally change their lives, their home, their family, their comfort. All these things are principled around the idea of good salesmanship. And it's, it's critical that we have that not only defined well in our heads as to what that is and what that isn't, but that we also give it its due justice. We don't want to get out there and be bad at it. Uh, you know, Obviously, that has ramifications that come with it. But in addition, like we're just we're, we're a lesser version than we could be of who we should be. Right. And so I'm, I'm reflecting upon that, you know, phone conference call that I had and just thinking like. This completely turned me off to the product, like I was confused. Everybody in the room was confused. We're looking around at each other saying, like, what what are we, what is he talking about? What are we doing here? And he took an hour to say what really could have condensed down into like 15 minutes. Mm. And had he done that in such a way that would have intrigued us and would have, would have engaged us, you know, we might be having a different conversation right now. We surely would be. You might have been having a different conversation during the presentation than shooting inappropriate memes back and forth to Mike and Chris the whole time. I'm not aware of any such memes. Yeah, being I heard said. about those two, buddy. I, I, I actually can, saw some of them. Don't can, approve. Can neither confirm nor deny memes <laughs> being sent during phone calls. <laughs> Man, but it is, it does go to show you, we were talking about this paving company here that uh, closed up shop. Uh, we were just talking about that at lunch today. It's right across the street from where we, we eat lunch. And uh, I had them out to the house like a year ago. Seemed like a big professional outfit, and that's kind of what I look for in anything I use. And, um, I mean, size doesn't matter necessarily, like Nate always says. But the... Uh, professionalism like I want wrapped trucks I want people in uniforms I want to know that you know their background checked that kind of thing is important to me got a bunch of kids at home you know so had them out couldn't give us an estimate on site which I I can never understand that I, I don't understand how on something like extending a driveway like how many factors go into it if this is what you do every day you know what I mean like I get like, we're going to remodel your kitchen and add a wing and maybe I'll need to go kick it around to some people at the shop, you know, but like this that you give estimates for every day, every day. And then it took two weeks to get it back. And we had to call several times to get, get it back. And, you know, we didn't use them cause I'm just like, I'm, this is just trying to get them to let us spend money. 
imagine how hard it's going to be to get them to finish a job. Bingo. So we're done. We didn't use them. Called another guy. Highly recommended by Jamie Mellinger, I'll tell you. One of our uh, esteemed, probably our the guy who's been on the podcast the most, I would think. I think he's on at least three times, so yeah. Um, and I had the same thing. Scheduled a visit, didn't show up. Called days later to schedule another visit, showed up, said, I can probably give you a ballpark while I'm here. I said, cool, do that. Uh, you know what? Let me, for various <laughs> reasons, let me just get it back to you. And I'm like, oh, you guys are killing me. Dude, just ballpark me. Like, give me a range. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to low ball your shoot too high. And I said, you can't just give me a range within $3,000 here. See this cash of money, right? This briefcase of money right here. Take uh, it. But just you know it. what? I, I've got a Rhodesian Ridgeback. He's a 110 pound, uh, disaster of like, I think he'll always be a playful puppy with really sharp teeth. <laughs> uh, and, and the guy loved Ridgebacks and he saw him, he, he like jumps up on the side door when I'm in the driveway and he just, stares, the guy or know? the dog, the dog. Okay. Got it. From inside. He's just, he just jumps up and he's staring out. And these dogs can be a little aloof and like skittish of people. They don't know once they're not a puppy anymore. And he said, I, I love, I love Ridgies. You know, somebody knows Rhodesian Ridgebacks when they call them Ridgies. And he said, I love Ridgies. Just let them out, man. And so he was jumping all over the place and, and being crazy. And I'm trying to talk this guy out of an estimate, a ballpark. And uh, so I'm, I just got kind of fed up and I'm like, all right, yeah, call me, man. Let me get this guy in, in, in the house. I never got a quote. He called me like, Six weeks later, I got a voicemail. Hey, I got that quote for you. I never called him back. I never <laughs> got the driveway weeks. extended. I just, wow. I got fed up. I threw my hands up. So for anybody listening to this podcast who might happen to be in the driveway industry mm -hmm. in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, or the surrounding tri-state area. world is your oyster. Just come on out. Just let's get it done. You got an investor right here. Come see me. Yep. Just, we're going to start with my driveway. And that's why selling is important. It's all, well, not just selling, but like the whole thing of professionalism. And like, if I started a paving company tomorrow morning in this area, I would be twice the price of both of those companies. I would give you an estimate on site. We would be there when we said we would be there. Excellence would not be our goal. It would be what we do. We, it would be pristine work. When we got done, if there's anything you didn't like about it and you pointed out, it would get fixed period at our cost we would not play games we would not argue with clients much like we do here we would bend over backwards for the people we serve and much more like we do here we would bend over backwards for our team and our team would feel a weight of responsibility to take care of our clients and we would become the biggest paving company in the area in months months because the level of service out there is a joke and it's no different in any trade you're listening from. I guarantee it. There's like probably one or two operators in your space who really take care of clients at a high level and the rest of them, you know what you are, kind of a joke. You make your clients wait. You treat them like they're lucky to have you. Uh, and you, you uh, in some ways, man, don't deserve to charge a high price or make a good amount of money. You just can't treat people like that and expect to be in the service business.
Well, I'll tell you who's not a joke, uh, Brian, and that is Richard and Andrea. These are some professionals who are doing great things in the sales world. If you haven't heard their original podcast with us, it's episode 78. It dropped on February 14th, Valentine's Day of 2022. So make sure you go back and listen to it because it was such a great discussion, a great uh, back and forth uh, between them and us in, in terms of what they were saying and what we were picking up. And it, it was just really a great podcast. So make sure you go check out ev- episode 78, uh, the original Go For No. Yeah. One of one of my all-time favorite episodes of this show. One of my favorite interviews that I've been fortunate enough to be a part of doing this show. I loved having Andrea and Richard on, and I loved our conversation. And our conversations off off. Mike and you know whenever I deal I deal for booking purposes and stuff I deal exclusively with Andrea and um, she's just a delight to deal with and their new book is what they're coming on to talk about although I actually emailed her saying you know it's been about a year would you guys like to come on and do go for no two and she's like well about to drop the other book funny you asked I'm like what the other book so the other book, part two of their three-part series, I believe, is, so it was Go For No is part one, and then When They Say No is part two. And part three is going to be When They Say Yes. Can't wait. Nice. Can't wait. Unlike the first one, uh, two unlikes. One, Nate Minnick, not going to be joining us on this interview. I know. I'm really disappointed. I, I'm going to miss out on this one. But uh, tag teaming in, one of the good guys here, Aaron Buckwalter, is going to be guest hosting for us yeah. uh, for our the actual v- interview. Our very first guest, also our guest host on the Weldon Long episode that we did, which was awesome episode, another one of my favorites. Uh, Aaron will be guest hosting for Nate. Um, the other unlike is... Unlike the first book, I have not read this one yet, so I'm pretty pumped. It's not on Audible, and I'm a big uh, ear reader, but uh, I have the book, so I will definitely be reading it before this comes out, but unfortunately haven't read it in time for the interview. Yeah, it's going to be a great uh, great time today, and I'm sure Aaron will do quite a bit of the heavy lifting with Brian as well. Uh, But before we get into that interview, we are going to pause here because it is time for our review of the week. Little chirp. Bunch of exclamation points. What's up? I already like this review. Five stars. Let's go, little chirp. Fantastic content. Your podcast has helped me grow and develop in my own career. I look forward to growing and learning more with each episode while I begin my own journey into starting my own business. Thanks for the good work, Caleb Drago. Nice. Thanks uh, for the shout out there, Caleb. Appreciate it. You think is that his real name, Caleb Drago? You think he's brothers with Ivan? Ivan. It's Ivan? Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, either way, if Caleb, if you're related to Ivan or Ivan, let us know. Doesn't he say Ivan? Don't they say Ivan Drago? Yeah. Well, the the female trainer with the heavy accent, she probably drops Ivan. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, Sylvester Stallone's wife at that time, I believe. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody who doesn't know Rocky IV, I don't, stop listening to my show. I, don't, I ain't want you on here. <laughs> what are you doing with your life? I you will break you. <laughs> I must break you. Yeah. And if he dies, he, he dies. dies. Yes, yes. Yeah, all right. Appreciate it, Caleb Drago, and appreciate everyone who takes the time to write us a review and uh, on Apple Podcast 
And if you don't have Apple, click the five star on Spotify. And if you don't have Spotify, want to hook us up with a nice review. I love when people text me on Facebook to tell me how much they enjoy the show. But check it out. You guys text me in a private message. You know how much more it would help the show if you tagged me in a public post about how, uh, how much it's helped you. I get the reason you kind of wouldn't want to because you're like, look, if my, my competitors get a hold of this, they're going to have the advantage too. All ships rise together. What is it? <laughs> a rising tide raises all ships? Yes. Just hook it up, man. Let's raise the level of service all around you. Uh, also, their prices will go up, so you'll stop, you'll stop getting beat up on pricing so much. <laughs> Believe me. Well, we're going to raise the level of this podcast by putting authors Richard Fenton and Andrea Waltz back in your passenger seat. Our guests today are Richard Fenton and Andrea Waltz. They are the owners of Courage Crafters Incorporated and are one of the few speaking teams who speak together on stages uh, for audiences of up to 50 to 10,000 people. They have written and published several business books, four of which are fables, including the long-running bestseller Go For No, which has over a half a million sales. They've also produced a documentary, and they have fun and with their crazy little cat named Story, adopted from the Orlando Pet Alliance. They enjoy live theater, dining out, a great glass of wine, and watching Gary the Gator frolic in our back pond in the swamps of Central Florida. With that, welcome back to the show, Richard and Andrea. Hey guys, so good to be with you. Yeah, great to be here. So good to have you on again. We were we were uh, talking today. I was talking to a bunch of people today at our office here about all the feedback we got from the original go for no episode, uh, which was about the same length as the go for no book. Uh, coincidentally. <laughs> That's right. So, and then the people who downloaded the book and listened to it, um, we got even more feedback from them. So I'm, I'm hoping as we have quite a bit more listeners now than we did then. And I would really love for everyone listening to go back to I forget what episode number it is, but it was Valentine's Day last year that it released. So February 14th, 2022's episode, Go For No, and listen to that episode, download the book, and then finish listening to this episode. Maybe not in that order. I like that order. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so how have you guys been? It's been a year since we chatted. Well, we've been doing great. And we... uh did not have this in the plans when we talked to you last, although I think we might have talked a little bit about how we really needed to write a follow-up to go for no. And, and we finally managed to pull that off. Right. Because Richard had, had, uh, I hope jokingly mentioned that go for no took him like 18 hours to write or something. Uh, but yeah, well, it was 17 days, but, 17 um, days. it's still a, still a very short period of time. So I'm uh, like, you should be for, kicking out a book like every quarter. Well, you know, some, um, some speakers and trainers do. And uh, what happens, of course, is that they, they find that after their third or fourth book, they're not even on the same topic anymore. And uh, we, we wanted to be known for this one thing, because this one issue, helping people overcome their fear of failure and rejection and turning no into a powerful positive, is, is a lifetime career in and of itself. So there was no reason to go out and look for uh, other things to write or talk about. It really is enough. We talk, we talk about it on this show all the time that if I think I read a, I read a survey a few years ago that said that 85% of sales presentations of all kinds across the United States end 
without the client ever being asked to purchase. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. Is, which I, is we just, actually, we've seen those. Though, so yeah. That's just an utter fear of rejection. Like if I don't ask, they can't tell me no. Yeah. And the irony about that is that when you don't ask, you're actually giving yourself the no. And if, if rejection is bad, then self-rejection has got to be worse. Yeah. Where did, where did we get, where did we develop this? Is it, was it like, I have kids ranging from 17 to five right now, four of them. I say right now, that's all we're having. And, you know, I notice like the younger they are, the more times they're going to take your book's advice. Certainly when we're in a grocery store trying to check out and they're screaming about what's on the shelf beside them, like they'll ask 15 times, no problem whatsoever. And then you get as you work up to the 17 year old, it gets less and less and less. There's like one time and then they, and then she'll just like walk away, you know? So is that conditioned out of us because of mom saying, if you ask one more time, you know, I'm going to catch this shoe. <laughs> yeah, I think it is uh, to a large extent. It's, it's conditioned. There's kind of two things. There's nature and nurture. Um, one of, one of the pieces is the nature side, which is we are hardwired in our DNA to not get rejected something that young kids, the little kids, uh, haven't, um, they haven't, it hasn't been nurtured out of them. So they, they have that, that super willingness to hear no, and that super persistence, and they haven't yet tapped into that biological DNA survival mechanism of, hey, don't get rejected. It's not safe. Your brain needs to protect you. They're like in a, uh, operating on an entirely different plane. And then somewhere along the line of that um, early teenage years, maybe starting as young as eight, nine, certainly by 13, then at that point, it's like you're very aware of judgment. You're very aware of what other people think, very concerned about it. And again, that that biological um, nature part kicks in and says, don't get rejected. It's not safe, even from your parents who, you know, uh, those are, those are safe no's, but, um, that's what happens. Yeah. And and the saddest part of this is that parents just trying to survive. And I mean, survive when you've got the kids growing up and they want this and they want that. And mom, can I have a cookie? And I, I want an Xbox and, you know, and they go, no, no, no. And, And then the funny part is the final line is, you know, no means no. And what they should be training them is no means not yet. <laughs> yeah. Because that would be that would be the greatest lesson you could give a kid. Because if they're gonna grow up and they're gonna live a fully functional life and get all the things they, they want up to and including an upgrade to first class, you know, even when they're not entitled for it, they have to they have to learn to ask. And yet as parents we accidentally um, teach kids not to. Well it makes it makes our lives significantly easier. Because you would, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You would, sure. you would never stop getting asked if you didn't try. You try. I mean, we really try to build in a mechanism where the first time I say no, the conversation's over. And it takes, right. yes, eight or nine or 10 years. <laughs> Absolutely. I have an eight-year-old now. She's not quite there yet. She's, <laughs> she's just starting to figure it out. But yeah, it, is, uh, it would be a whole other podcast, but we'd have to, I'd love to talk about like, how do you get them to chill out a little bit without taking their, you know, their confidence, their, their ability right. to go get that no and not take it so personally. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and a piece of this, and this works for, I mean, it, it absolutely is important for people in sales or any business is to understand the difference between um, the no's that we get in our interpersonal relationships, which we call safe no's. So if you ask your spouse, like, hey, do you want uh, Chinese food tonight? And they say no. The first thing that your brain does is interprets that in a a neutral way, not a negative way, not a positive way, just kind of objective, factual information. And so you're able to take that and assimilate it and ask a different question like, okay, well, what do you want? Or, okay, what about Italian food? There's no hyper-personalization. There's no danger to that. So that's on the one end. And then the, uh, the kind of more unsafe no, those from strangers or colleagues or your boss or your prospects, you know, all of these knows the brain's interpretation is different. And so instead of interpreting it as not dangerous, it interprets it as it, it really asks the question, what does this mean? And because it doesn't know what it means, it's not a safe no. And so the answer usually is it means it's bad. It means you you might get fired for asking for this raise. It means that you just got a no from your customer or your prospect again for the third time today. You you could get fired for that too, and and so the 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 nuances there are um, are interesting because what we need people to do is get is get skilled, especially kids, right? Is understand um, the boundaries of the safe nose in their interpersonal relationships, but understand that in the real world, when it comes to the more dangerous nose, they need to rewire that programming. Wow, that was a lot to uh, a lot to chew on. Let's pause it for a second. Take five, Aaron. You good with that? So I got my co-host Aaron here with me. My my guest co-host today. He's actually trying out for Nate's job, and since Nate edits the <laughs> podcast, I'm gonna guess that nobody will ever hear that joke. <laughs> um, Aaron sold. Aaron's the president of the the organization we're at here, and Aaron sold HVAC equipment in the home before moving into management. Sold quite. Quite a few million dollars worth of yeah worth over of a number of years yeah. HVAC equipment in his day, and <clears throat> so I was in a plumbing truck here while Aaron was in a comfort advisor role, and mm-hmm. so I I've you know done this job plumbing job in a few different states, and the first thing I noticed pretty quickly when I got Aaron out to a call the first time was he went for it and. I don't know how to put this without offending people, but in, in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, where we're at versus Detroit, where I grew up or versus Las Vegas, where I came here from, I would say people here are not known to be as assertive as the other two places I had lived. So, and I noticed that immediately when I got to this company, I'm like, there's nobody even trying to sell here. It's like, you know, it's wide open. So I was excited for one because it was going to mean better results for me. Um, but then I had Aaron, Aaron come in and, and I, I recommended him over and I was still at the home. So I sat down on the basement steps as, and, and famously, as everyone knows here, I just listened to his presentation and I heard Aaron ask for the business and I heard Aaron catch an objection and I, I listened as Aaron process that quote unquote objection, whatever you want to speed bump, I like to call him. And then, you know, he looked at it like we should as 
as they want to do business, this is what's stopping them. Now let me figure out how to help them with it if possible. And then he did that. And then he asked him again. And I'm like, perfect. But Aaron has three kids <laughs> so Aaron, and parents. Yep. So Aaron knows what it's like to, um, one, be hounded for the yes that's never going to come. Uh, and two, to be told to stop asking so much, I assume. Yeah. You know, Aaron had two older siblings. So it's not like you were an only child and got your way all the time. So how you personally, how did you... How are you so good at going for no? Well, if there was a need there, I understood the need. And, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, I always felt as though that if, if there is a need and there's a true need, I was the one to bring the, the, the solution. Um, if there was an objection that came up, I would work with them to figure out what exactly that objection was. Uh, and so, you know, hearing no to me, I, I would never take that personally. Um, maybe I was stubborn, bullheaded. I don't know, but, um, I always figured there was a way out to get that person taken care of. So, I mean, it, it's, you know, some people say I, I never really heard the no, I, I heard it, but it just wasn't, you know, a, a roadblock, something I couldn't overcome. Um, so, I mean, that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's, that's ultimately, you know, I think what you heard Brian in the basement was just an ability to hear the customer. And look, in the home, I wasn't necessarily going in there to get my my personal needs met, so to speak. I wasn't going in there looking for approval. Um, I was looking to be their trusted advisor uh, more so than just simply a uh, a friend. I mean, if, if they like you, that certainly helps. Um, but I think we all have people out there that are friends of ours, but we wouldn't necessarily do business with. Or the other way around. Or the other way around. Yep. You just, you just want to be an authority on the subject. So how do we, okay, so we're not going to worry about our kids. That's going well so far, so far, so good. So how do we, how do, how are we reprogramming salespeople and your book, man, I still can't get over. And I talked about it in in the first episode. I was, you know, I, Tommy Mello, garage door, a one garage door, uh, Empire CEO Tommy Mello was on our show for the first time weeks before I got a hold of you guys. And he said, Oh, hey, by the way, you guys need to check this book out. Get it to your teams. I'm like, okay. So I downloaded on audio audible. Didn't really look at it. And then that Saturday I was driving my son to a wrestling tournament. And it was like two hours away. And it was like an hour and a half, hour 40 audible book. So I was like, oh, jackpot. And I, we got, we got there and finished it. And I'm like, wow. Cause I was expecting like, you know, here are 10 strategies to be a better salesperson type stuff. When in reality, it was like a back to the future, uh, dream or, or kind of journey that this guy took back in or into the future and then back in the present. And I'm like, um, did not expect that at all. Cause Tommy gave us no context as to what we were reading, just that it was very uh, beneficial to salespeople. So we listened to it again on the way home. <laughs> and uh, even my son who slept the whole way there on the way back was talking about what a cool, like what a cool book story concept it was. And ever since then we've gone, I've gone pretty hard in my older two to not with me and mom, obviously, because, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. catch the back of this hand, you know, no, joke. Is is to ask for things they want. So um, famously at home, my son wanted to 
take a girl to um, prom or homecoming. It's his freshman year, but they still had the prom or whatever. And he wanted to take this girl. And he asked, he asked his sister, his older sister, how he should ask her. And then she came to me in front of him, which made him freak out. Don't tell dad uh, how, how should Ethan do it? And I coached him and then I made him role play with his sister twice in the kitchen. And then he just wouldn't do it the third time he walked away. But he actually did it. He went for no. And he got to know. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. Look, I'm going to get this lady's name uh, once she's 18 and we're going to put her on the show here and I want everybody to call her and, uh, you know, <laughs> he, uh, he took the no. He didn't ask for another one because he said she did. They were walking beside each other and he said, hey, are you going to the prom? And, and she said, uh, maybe. And he said, would you like to go with me? And she said, no, thank you. And did an about face and started walking the other way. I'm like, oh, no. buddy, oh, you'll make that up. Don't worry, bro. You're a Burton. You'll be fine. So, yeah. so, um, well, I, I brought him home. I mean, I got him home and I asked him and I said, you know, how did you feel after? And he's like, uh, kind of a combination of like, what stinks, you know? She said, no. I said, but, but you're, you're alive. Like you made it, you know? He's like, yeah, I don't know. It, it wasn't as bad as I thought. I just thought the whole school was going to be laughing at me and pointing at me and, throwing tomatoes at, at me on my way out to the bus or whatever, you know, and it, whatever the anxiety you have is like your own. Cause that girl was probably more embarrassed than he was. Cause she said, no, you don't know why. So how are we, how are we taking salespeople and undoing all these years of adolescent development and learning not to ask questions that could end in a no? Well, there, there's a couple things here. First, first, um, thank you for the compliment on the book. And for making the point that it was a short book, we wrote that book to be 80 pages because we, we feel that um, so many authors think that um, books should be priced by the pound. And, you know, if they can sell you a 300 page book that somehow they can charge more <laughs> for it. And, and the reality of that is that, and you know this, both of you know this, Aaron, Brian, you guys know this, there's, you got books on your, on your shelf that you, that you bought three years ago with great intent, you still haven't opened it because the thing is just too darn big. Um, so we, we understood that consumption was more important than how much we could charge for it. That was that was the first thing. Um, the, the, the the second thing here is, and this is just for your for your um, for your son. Uh, let him know, and this is a true story. I asked Andrea to marry me four hundred days in a row. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. <laughs> I asked her, it, it, yeah, it was over a year. It was almost 400 days in a row. And, you know, not all the, not the, 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 the um, proposals were not like down on my knee every time or any of that stuff. Um, and the, the final one that worked, we were walking through a Macy's department store. Um, I turned to her and did like a casual, like throwaway proposal. I said, are you going to marry me or what? And she said, yes. And I was, so used to her saying no that it didn't even register. I mean, I, I literally, by five seconds ago, I went, oh my God, she just said yes. And I hadn't bought the ring yet. <laughs> you know, uh, so, so I ran over to the, I ran over to the, I ran to the jewelry department, bought the ring, ran back, found her in the shoe department, um, knelt down next to the salesperson that was putting the shoe on her foot and did a formal proposal. You know, um, but, 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 but the point of it is that the more you ask, and the more times you hear no, the less impact 
every no that you hear is going to have on you. And that is a, this is a central element is that if you ask no one time on something that's huge and you get, and you get a no, it can be devastating. But if you realize that life is a long series of asking for things and the majority of things you ask for, you're going to hear no to, then it just, you know, you start to get a little bit, a little bit calmed down. Last answer to your question here. And this to me is central. And um, if everybody who's listening to this, you know, wants to pull out a pen, this, this is, if they're going to make one note during the whole, um, the whole show, we had traveled in 2010 around the United States and we interviewed 58 high income business owners and salespeople to ask them how they used to go for no and how failure and rejection worked in, you know, to their advantage in their businesses. And we got to Santa Barbara and we were checking into the hotel. We had all our video equipment and uh, the um, valet asked us, you know, what's all the equipment for? And we told him what the project was. And he said, oh, wow, you've interviewed 58 people. He goes, can you, can you put like in a sentence or two and tell me, you know, what the, what the key learning is? Well, we had 58 hours on tape and I hadn't considered what the key learning was. And I was just ready to tell this kid, what are you talking about? I got 58 hours of tape, man. I can't. And bam, it hit me like a lightning bolt. And what I said to him is really the crux of everything is what we teach. And it's that when average people hear the word no, they think the process is over. When top performers hear the word no, they think things are just getting started. And if people can change that mindset and understand that no is not the end of the process, as Aaron was just talking about, it is not the end of the process. It's the beginning of the process. Then you're able to shake off a lot of that dread because if you know you're going to get a no and it just means things are getting going, then, you know, you know, what's, what's there to be afraid of? Yeah, that's right. You know, I think in the last podcast, Richard, you made the comment, there are, uh, uh, how exactly was it? I believe you said salespeople hear no, order takers hear yes. And I, mm. I, I think that's how it went. And, and that kind of struck me um, as, I, as I listened to that for the first time, because you're absolutely right. Anybody can go in and ask, well, take an order. It's those who are asking for the order are the true salespeople. Yeah. And in our, right. in our industries, <clears throat> the industries that listen to this show, which are typically in-home skilled trade industries of various kinds, you can be a pretty successful order taker because people have needs and are having you out for those needs. But, but to, to the story in the book um, of, at the department store, why don't you tell the story of the department? I'll let you guys tell that story. And, but to say that if you just go in and get what you were called out for and you never really ask for anything else and you never ask them to buy anything, you are an order taker. If you take the risk of hearing no and then hearing it again and again a few times, you're, in, you're selling. But man, the people who make that leap who say, I don't want to be an order taker anymore. I'm, I'm going for this. Like I'm going to put myself out there. They are so much happier and more fulfilled in any kind of selling career than the order taker people, because you, they usually get bitter. They become the people who call successful salespeople, like, you know, they're snake oil, rip off artists. You know, mm. these are people with integrity, with principles, but they sell at a high level and, and they're presenting the same products as the people who don't sell anything. So to get there, quote unquote, you must be ripping people off is, is such a horrible thing to read constantly and to hear, you know, on, in some of these 
Facebook trade groups I'm in and stuff. And it's simply because they're, they're more bold. They're putting themselves out there. They're just like, I'm just going to say it again. They're going for no. And uh, to do that the first few times, it takes a lot of courage. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing once you got up to 387 times of asking Andrea to marry, you got a little, little less painful, right? Yeah, it was a lot less painful after the second hundredth time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to tell my son uh, he only sees her on school days, so if he keeps going, he may be able to take her to senior prom. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So tell us about the where the uh, go for no because we've heard you know there's like Sandler training and there's like Black Swan Group and you hear this like uh, importance of getting a no often in training in, in all kinds of sales training circles. The the one that really stood out to me that made go for no different was what you got when you thought you were having like Richard, the, the biggest sales day of your young life. And then you got set straight by a sales manager who didn't really let you celebrate it. Right. Right. And you know, I was this um, proverbial order taker and I got more yeses than, you know, than I did no's for sure. Cause someone would walk into the, into the store and they'd say, you know, I want to get a, I want to get a, a blue shirt, uh, 16 and a half, 33. I'd walk over, I'd grab one. They'd say, yes, I'd walk them to the register, you know, ring them up and send them on their way. One yes, zero no's. That's what I thought my job was. I thought my job was to get people to say yes to me while simultaneously doing everything within my power to keep from having people say no to me. Um, and that paradigm was not serving me very well because I was, I was failing, failing badly when uh, the district manager, a guy named Carol, came into the store. And um, I was lucky enough to get a customer who told me he wanted to buy an entire wardrobe of clothing. You know, suits, sport coats, shirts, ties, shoes, socks, belts, collar pin, pocket square, um, you know, underwear. It, it, was a, it was a full wardrobe of clothing, $1,100 in all. And, uh, you know, rang him up, sent him on his way. And I'm waiting for Harold to tell me what a fantastic salesperson I was. And uh, he completely blindsided me. He blindsided me with this, what I considered to be a very odd question. He said, out of curiosity, what did that customer say no to? And you see, because I was still operating with the old paradigm that my job was to get people to say yes to me and to avoid having them say no to me, I thought I had done a great job. So when he asked me, what did they say no to? It, it completely threw me. I'm like, what do you mean? What do you say no to? Didn't you see all the yeses I got? He bought a suit. He bought a sport. I start running through everything he said yes to. And Harold said, whoa, whoa, time out. I'm not asking you what the yeses are. He goes, the yeses are easy. You just take the sales check. You look at everything that's listed there with the price next to it. Those are the yeses. That has been established. The question I'm asking you is, what did you say no to? And that was the very first time that I realized that the customer hadn't said no to anything. He didn't say no to one single thing because I never took a chance. I never introduced a new piece of merchandise. I was so fixated on just giving him what he wanted as an order taker. It did not cross my mind that my job was actually to show him things that he didn't realize he might like, that he didn't even know that we carried. And, you know, when I told Harold, I said, he didn't say no to anything. Harold asked me the other great question. He said, well, then how did you, how did you know he was done shopping? And, you know, it was real simple. That age, I was, I was 25 years old. I wasn't making a lot of money. 
Um, I had never walked into a menswear store in my life and spent over a thousand dollars on clothing. A thousand dollars on clothing for myself seemed outrageous. And I just had a customer spend 1100. I thought that was like the highest number you could get up to. And, you know, Harold said, I watched you sell. Um, and you're not half bad, but your fear of the word no is going to kill you. And then he was kind enough to say that he thought if I could just get over that, that I could become one of the great ones. And I went home that night and realized if I was going to be successful in selling, I was going to have to change my thought process. And I went in the next day with only one goal. And the goal was to increase the number of times I got customers to say no to me. That was the only criteria upon which I was going to sell. The yeses were immaterial. How many times could I get customers to say no to me? Now, please understand, I'm doing this in a, cu- in a customer-centric way. I'm not arbitrarily just showing them anything. I'm asking good questions. I'm listening, you know, to what they do for a living. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm showing great products. Um, but it was to show more products and to have customers say no more often. And that is a paradigm shift that I don't think most people have gotten to. They do think their job as a salesperson is to get people to say yes. And they think when they hear the word yes, they've done a good job. And they count on the other side, they think when they hear the word no, that they're doing a bad job. And that is absolutely not the case. And if you're not hearing no often enough, then there's no way that you are selling to your, to your full potential. It's not possible to sell to your potential and not be hearing no a lot. So let me ask you a question, Richard. In, in, in that scenario, you said you, you made that decision, that switch to start going and, and getting no's. Was there, you know, a, a limit or a number if you're sitting there talking with a, a customer, you know, through that experience, if they're saying no, no, no. I mean, what, what is your, what was your limit? Well, I started out with the number five. Okay. Um, and what I very rapidly realized was that that was way too low, at least for the business that I was in, you know, selling clothing is a, is a different, I think is we've got, you know, a thousand SKUs that we can, that we can show and offer to people. So I'm not suggesting that that number is the correct number for other people. But in my case, what I found out, it might take five no's to get the customer to decide, okay, this is the suit I want. So I might show five suits. No, 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 no. Finally, I show the yes. Then it's another suit. I might get another four or five no's. Then it's the sport coat, another three, four, five no's. And then shirts. I might, you know, I might show 20 shirts and they might buy three of them. They said no to 17. So at the end of a very well-crafted clothing sale, customers probably said no to me 30 or 40 times when I was doing it right. But they never felt that they were being badgered or that they were being manipulated. They felt that it was service because in every case, I asked great questions. I found out what they did for a living. I knew what things I should show and what things I shouldn't show. And everything I showed, I explained why I was showing it. And, you know, so in the end, I might get 10 yeses on a sale, but they probably said no 30 or 40 times. And probably couldn't tell you, probably wouldn't say they said no three times if they were asked. That, that's correct. Because if you do... If you do it in a customer-centric way and you're offering service, if you believe in your products and services, you believe that they're better than the competition's um, products and services, then it's not just something you should do. Like, oh, I should show more merchandise. You know, I should show more products. I'm sure my company wants me. No, it's you have to do it if you're going to 
provide maximum satisfaction to the customer. You cannot solve customers' problems by not showing them what the solutions are. Um, and, and I think so many times salespeople think that, you know, selling is something we do to people. It's not. It's something we do for people. And if your people, if anyone can get the mindset that when I sell my product or service to a customer, I have done something for them, then showing more product and services become an obligation, not a manipulation. And I just want to add to that an example of the air conditioning repair that we had done uh, several months ago. And the guy came, he did a very basic repair and he said, and our air conditioner is not old. Our house is not old, but he, so he offered me this uh, service contract for a year and some kind of like silver service contract plan and I just figured, you know what, I, this this system is not old enough. We just don't need this. So I said no to it. And um, wouldn't you know that about three months later, we had something else go wrong, some weird fluky thing, and ended up calling the same company, got, the, got a different guy, someone else came out. And um, I'm, I, he asked me again if I wanted to do the service contract. And this time, of course, I said yes. And I actually felt dumb saying no the first time because had I said yes for the service contract, then the second visit would have been no charge. And so I learned my lesson there. But the funny thing was that at least that guy did that in my best interest. He he asked the question, even though in my head it wasn't necessary. Um, and so, yeah, so they, they ended up getting a yes uh, on that next visit. Oh, so, so what you're saying is you just gave all of our audience a third party story with a famous author, co-author, uh, her, her name's Andrea Waltz. She's, uh, <laughs> she told a story recently about the fact that she, like yourself, not sure about this membership club service agreement, whatever you want to call it. A couple months later, she had to have that company back out, pay full rate, wait in line like everybody else pay full price for whatever the repair was, and then ended up getting the service contract. That is correct. That is absolutely correct. <laughs> and, you know, nudge, nudging, is, nudging is really important. And I think a lot of times salespeople think that they say like, hey, what about the, what about the service contract? Um, and then you go like, uh, you know, um, no, I'm not interested. And then they think, okay, I'm done. I offered the service contract. They said no. Well, if you think the service contract is in the customer's best interest, you are not done. Your job at that moment is to, is to say something to the effect of, yeah, I understand how you feel. There's a lot of customers who tell us, you know, no, and we offer the service contract. But you know what we found? Um, let me tell you a story, right? In other words, you don't just quit at the first no. You come back again and explain, explain why you offered it in the first place. You know, if you don't come back and explain why you offered it, then maybe it wasn't such a great thing to even offer in the first place. You have to come, you have to come back. Um, and salespeople just, just don't do it. Um, one more story. We go to buy a pair of glasses for me um, about a month ago. And we're sitting there and the, the, the young lady says, I'm getting the things done. And Andrea's standing off to the side. And she says, do you want an anti-reflective coating? And I said, no, nah, it isn't necessary. And she goes, okay. Well, Andrea's standing behind me. She goes, he wants the answer reflected. And the salesperson was shocked. Like she thought just because she offered it that her job was done. 
because she wasn't going to ask again and she doesn't explain why I should have it. So I had to have Andrea there to do the salesperson's job because the salesperson thought that when you got a no, that that no meant it's never, that they're not going to buy it. Um, And the salespeople just give up way too early. They need to stand behind their recommendations. I I, I love that story. And and here's why. You know, as you were talking about the amount of no's you were getting uh, in the department store, you know, and, and you said it, you had over a thousand SKUs there to show people. Our technicians, when they're going into the home, they don't have that. They don't have, right. you know, a display set up, you know, to be able to walk the homeowner through and say, here's a UV light, here's some water treatment that you can benefit from. So unless they're able to articulate and communicate that and, and you know, take care of a need that that customer has, um, that's the only way the customer is going to find out about it. So, you know, to, to be able to ask those questions, even if the customer says, no, that's okay. We're, they're doing their job ultimately to figure out, you know, what is their, uh, what is that customer's need and to make them aware of those needs. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and one of the things I think that's really great for salespeople is to set up the sale early where showing additional products and offering additional services becomes a promise rather than some kind of imposition. And by that, what I mean is, um, and so I'm just making up by a, a situation here that the salesperson comes out, the, our air conditioner is clunking and it's not working and we don't know what to do about it. So he comes out and he says, yeah, I'll take a look at the air conditioner. Now, one of the things that he could do right then is I'm going to take a look at the air. When I'm done with that, I'm going to introduce three things to you that I believe you need to know about that our company offers. And I want to make sure that you know about those three things. So in case for any reason I forget, please remind me, I have three things I need to tell you about. And then they go fix the air conditioner and they come back. And now when they introduce the additional services, it's a fulfillment of a promise. I promised you, I was going to tell you all these things. And now I'm fulfilling my promise instead of, okay, now I got you for the repair. Let's see if I can get you for more. That attitude has got to change. Because you should be making a promise to let customers know about all the key things that you offer. Yeah, absolutely. And plus, it, it kind of piques their interest a little bit while you're out there working, thinking, what are those three things that he's going to tell me? Exactly. That's right. It's called an open loop. I like That's that. Right. Open loop. I'm, I'm just picturing my kids' uh, surprise, lack of surprise, excitement, lack of excitement <clears throat> when I just give them a gift to unwrap versus when they've been staring at these boxes under a tree for three and a half weeks, trying to measure the box up in their mind and figure out what might be behind it. That anticipation, man, there's something to it. A little bit of a takeaway too, to say, I have three things to talk to you about, but I'm going to make you wait. (laughs) You're going to make me wait in my home. I don't think so. (laughs) Now they're coming after something they didn't want in the first place. Let's transition there with the time we have left. And I want to talk about the new book and what the concept of the new book is and how it uh, plays off of go for no. And, you know, I, I want to know who did what for the book. I mean, I, I know in the last episode we talked about uh, Andrea's contribution to go for no. Um, so tell us all about it. How long did it take you to write first off? Less or more yeah, time than how- 18 days. It was longer. It was it was longer. This is a little bit longer book. This is about 114 pages. And so what we noticed, you guys, is 
and, and we've known this for years. Um, it's just that go for no is such a fundamental mindset message that we've been focused on on getting out. But we've known for years that once we tell people, hey, start hearing no more often, that one of the questions that we've gotten is, all right, well, now that I'm getting all these no's, how do, how do I respond? And what are some of the things I can say? And what are some of the things I can do? And so we stumbled, we were brainstorming uh, because I had been wanting to write a book for a long time. And Richard is the creative genius of the two of us. We stumbled upon a title and we decided the title was When They Say No and that it was going to be the things that you should think, say, and do once you do go for no and you are starting to get those no's. So this isn't all of the reasons why people tell you no, because that could be like a thousand, there's a thousand different reasons and issues around why people say no. But this is, I think we're, we're pretty happy with this definitive list of concepts where when you do get that no, how, what you should do with it. And um, some of the things are things to say. Some of them are mindset things. Some of them are strategy things. One of them, uh, I'll just give you an example right off the bat. We talked about, it's kind of been a theme on this call, is they may not trust you yet. And so, uh, you know, people will say no to a product or service oftentimes for no other reason. They may even want it, but they just don't have trust in the salesperson or the company yet. And so, Trust is a big part of it. And so how can you build that trust? So there are these 41 different concepts and we're really excited about it. I think it's, it's meaty. There's a lot to it. And it's kind of almost like a recipe book in that when you get a no, you can kind of flip through it and say, okay, where, what, what, are, the, what are the two or three things that apply to this no and how can I be better? Love it. So... Man, I'd have to really unpack all that, the different types of no. Um, I want to say it's, it's uh, Chris Voss talks about, is it three no's? I'm looking at you. Right? Yeah, yeah, he does talk about three different no's. That's right. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron's not following. <laughs> it's not tracking. But yeah. So Nate, Nate and I will have these conversations pretty often. Like, uh, man, there's, there's three different types of no's. And you have to know which one's coming at you and, and now dissect it and know how to respond. And is that kind of what this book is about? So we don't focus too much on the different kinds of no's. We focus on the idea. And then, by the way, we do set up the go for no philosophy in the beginning of the book. So we're very clear, like, you need to be hearing no more often. We also give a framework for four different selling styles and which you want to be, which... Um, we, we talk about even the idea of, and I, I hate, I'm not, not trying to go on a big tangent here, but you know, you guys brought this up in the beginning about. Go on a tangent, Andrea. You've barely, you've barely, okay. we've barely given you time to speak. Let's, let's, okay. let's make oh, it the no, no, Andrea no. show the rest of the time. <laughs> so this is the difference between salespeople and order takers. And there's four different selling styles and it, and they're based on two factors. They're concerned for results and their concern for relationships. And the ideal selling style is that of the advisor. And this is someone who has a high concern for both results and a high concern for relationships. On the flip side, you've got salespeople who have a low concern for relationships. They don't care if people like them or the process of dealing with them or the company. And those are the sharks. Those are the people that get the quick sale and um, 
they they don't mind hearing no, uh, but they will pressure people into saying yes. So they're very pressure driven. The challenge with order takers are the people that have a high concern for relationships. They want people to like them, the company, the process, but they have a lower concern for results. And they think, and this is where the challenge comes in with people, salespeople that we find who struggle with the go for no concept overall, is they think that that in order to be effective, that they've got to be aggressive and that go for no is a aggressive strategy that forces people or pressures people into uh, somehow um, saying yes. It's actually the opposite. It's actually very much in line with what Chris Voss talks about, which is make people feel safe and okay to say no make that, make that, I mean, they already know, we all, we all know, we don't have to say yes to things that people are telling us. But when you as a salesperson, make it a perfectly acceptable answer, then what happens is people are much more open to listening to you, hearing what you're talking about, listening to the options, and then saying, well, actually, no, it sounds good. Uh, yes, I'll do it, as opposed to feeling pressured. So, um, yeah, it's a short book, but there's all, there's all, it is jam packed. You guys, I, uh, 100% believe you because I, I know that's your history for the books you guys put out thus far from the one you put out before it was shockingly short and even more shockingly packed full of useful information, practical, useful information for salespeople. Um, the, the idea of like going, going back again and again, you know, I want to touch on uh, Logan is Logan Altland is one of our electrical salespeople we have here. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Logan was struggling a little bit. And so Jamie, who's another very successful uh, electrician we have working here, said he'd do a ride along with him and just watch, watch him on his calls and see where he was struggling. And, but Jamie asked him first, like, well, how many objections are you getting? Are you asking for the business? You know, that, those kind of basic questions. And he said, oh yeah, I ask constantly, but I don't get any objections. Jamie's like, what do you mean you don't get objections? He's like, they, they don't give me any. So Jamie, Jamie and Logan go into the first call. Logan sells a, a huge job. They come back out and Logan says, see what I mean? I got zero objections. And, and Jamie says, what are you talking about? They said no and gave you a different reason four times. You didn't even hear them. <laughs> you just blew right past it. And the reason being... And, and what you have to be, we have to be as salespeople is he believes so strongly that they were better off with this than without it, that the, the kind of, um, smoke screen objections, the one that are just like, <clears throat> I don't necessarily dislike you or your product. I'm just not sure yet. So let me just try to call a timeout or pump the brakes with a little fake. No. Or, or, mm -hmm. or no, but a little fake reason. He didn't even register that as happening. Like it did ah. not cross his mind that that happened. And, and that is who we have to be and how we have to be as salespeople with our product or service. So the people who like very softly say no, or I'm sorry, very softly ask for the order, if at all, and then are very quick to just leave the home without asking again or without trying to help them. Um, overcome whatever was was keeping them from doing it my first question is like do you have this product at your house 
have you actually used it? Does any of your family have these things? Because the first thing I think of is you don't have that much conviction. You really don't believe in this product. Maybe this line of work isn't for you, or at least maybe this company isn't for you because the order taker thing, it's not a, it's not a fun ride, right? Right. It's not. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that, um, I, I think this is something that, and this goes to this idea of objections, but, uh, that all salespeople need to be, be aware of. And this is going to come across perhaps as a little, a little crass, a little, um, edgy perhaps, but, um, you know, one of, one of our 41 things when they say no, um, they, they may not be telling the truth, you know, they, customers and we, we have a friend in, in Hawaii, his name is Ron Martin. He says it very succinctly. He says buyers are liars. Um, I don't exactly like that phrase. I think it's a little, um, a little caustic, but the sentiment is that buyers are going to have their defenses up and they're going to fib at a minimum on lots of different things. And we all know this because we all do it as customers. You go to, you go to an auto dealer to buy a car. Usually you sit in the, in, in the car with your, you, with your spouse and you go, okay, here's the deal, right? We don't, we're, we're not spending over $50,000 and we're not going to buy a car today. We are just looking and we don't want the, you know, we don't want the best package and we're not getting the undercoating. I mean, you, like you do all this stuff and the reality is these are all things that you put up as defenses so that the salesperson won't sell you something. The truth of the matter is if they show you a great car for $57,000 and they explain the undercoating and why you should have it and you know, I, you're going to probably buy all of those things, but customers almost always start defensive. Right. If you start saying no, no to everything at first. If you feel as a, as a customer that you're going to get a $70,000 car for 57, all of a sudden you come up with another seven. That's right. So the value has to be there. Yeah. You know, otherwise, yo, absolutely. We just bought a car for my daughter uh, a month, month or two ago. And we came, it was funny because like I train against all the things that we were doing on the way in there. Like, you know, we did everything just stopped short of like, we'll say your mom's the power of a turn. You know, there's like all, all these things you come up with. We're like, if I, if I itch my right nostril with my thumb, you, you know, pull the rip cord. Like, right here. Like, um, I know like if you're a truly professional salesperson, um, all these little smokescreen things evaporate. They're, they just, they dissipate. There's no, it's, it's a joke to put something like that in front of Logan where you say, ah, uh, you know, we, we have this process. You see, we take 32 hours and light some incense candles. And uh, this is, you know, our process of all the nonsense that you would say before the salesperson gets there. It doesn't even register for like a true professional or what I assume would be Richard in the home asking for the 398th time and the clients, when we, when we do happy checks, we call them on Logan's clients. I've never heard someone say that he, he, even we've had a couple customer complaints, but it was like, they, they start by rescuing him has nothing to do with the guy you sent. We love this guy. Like he was so good. Here's our Mm. issue. The call taker, this, or the manager we spoke to that, or, I don't like your red truck or whatever it is, but it's like never Logan, despite the fact that Logan will get on a call and ask 17 times for the order without ever somehow getting kicked out of the home. 
pure passion, right. pure belief. That's so that's so great. You know, um, the other thing I just wanted to make the point about too, um, in relationship to getting those and and kind of the flip side, which is asking, is thinking about also all of the opportunities you have, especially in your business, for asking for things that are not necessarily related to the sale. We had somebody come and repair our garage door the other day. And I was shocked that literally besides just giving us the quote for the repair, which we obviously said yes to, we had to have it repaired. um, We literally got asked no other questions. And we weren't asked like, hey, uh, can we get your email address so that we can make sure we stay in touch with you and let you know what's going on with us and, uh, you know, future offers or this and that. No, no service packages whatsoever. No, no, no reviews. Uh, I mean, just like, hey, could you go on to Google review? My name is so-and-so. Could you review us? Um, which is how I buy every service now is based just going on Google Maps, looking at the reviews and no, um, no follow-up, no anything. And so it's crazy that not only do salespeople need to be good at asking for the sale and for the business and for different things, but ask for those things that are value that are value add once you have a happy customer. And we, to this point, you guys, we have a little part in the book that's um, when they say yes. And it, that is a when they say yes thing is don't forget to also go for no on some of those extra things at the end. I like that. Right. The, the buyer in motion tends to stay in motion yep. thing. It's like we have a. Exactly. Exactly. And this guy fixed our garage. The garage is, is functioning fantastic. And I would absolutely do a review. Um, and I probably will on my own anyway. It's just, it, it just, it needs to be asked because so many people aren't of that mindset. But I mean, that, I feel like that can sway a business and get you who knows what kind of increase in, in just traffic and into the website and calls into the call center, 10%, 20% just by asking for those reviews. Oh man, Tommy Mello, who turned us on to you guys, you guys used A1 for that garage door, right? I mean, don't make me call. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Perfect. It, Tommy's like obsessed with that. He, his, his big thing is to, um, we'll ask him often. Cause a lot of the people who listen to this show are, uh, owners of newer businesses. So maybe like, you know, me and Aaron in two trucks own the business and run all the calls ourselves type thing. And so we try to get advice for them as much as possible. And I asked Tommy on one of his episodes, what would you do in terms of branding marketing and he said every call you go to if you have that really happy client who thinks you did them a real service by being here today ask them to take five minutes with you standing there to help them and give you a review on four different platforms so google yelp a facebook video and an instagram post or whatever and i'm like it seems like a lot to ask but he's not kidding about it taking five minutes it's five minutes of, of, yeah. of the client's time and five minutes of the text time. And if you can make a fun little game out of it, like asking them to do a video with you or a pick or, you know, just something goofy, just having a good time with them, you're, you're going to bond with that client like no other company has. 
Yeah. And they're never yep. at their happiest and right then and there too. Yep. They got their problem handled. Yep. The check's written. You're good to go. Yep. So I want to ask the question, the, the new book with the 41, I know you'd mentioned 41 different, explain that a little bit. Are, are they, are they objections to overcome? Are they the most common things you hear? What, what is the, the, is there a significance to, to 41 or is that just kind of, oh, hey, we kind of ran out. So there's not a 42. Yeah, yeah. After I got to forty-one, I just got tired. <laughs> <laughs> no, we 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 got to forty-one, and we said, you know, this is enough, and I think we've covered most of it. Um, here, let me just give you a couple examples. This will give people a good idea. Um, so one thing, um, when they say no, your problem may not be closing; it may be opening. Mm. You know, so many people think that if I could just learn another close, mm-hmm. you know. I, I need the doorknob closed and I need the puppy dog closed and I need the, you know, blows. It's like closing, closing, closing. Well, if you, if you can't get people to say yes to you, maybe you're just not opening well. And by opening, we're meaning connecting in the right way, being friendly, asking the right questions. I mean, in your business, I, I don't want to be disparaging, but, you know, sometimes people come out um, in the service industry like that. They're kind of gruff. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they don't go out of their way trying to be friendly and to connect. So, um, that would be, you know, that would be one thing. Um, uh, let's see. Another one is another example. You know, when they say, no, don't be desperate. And you could connect that to, um, you know, don't, don't apologize or immediately lower your price. You know, when they say no, so many salespeople are like, well, what if I gave you a 10% discount? Or, you know, what, what if we you know, move a bit to try to find some way to reduce the price instead of explaining the value? Um, so that's an example, just a couple. So, so these are, these 41 things are not the rejections themselves. These are the things that you should think. In other words, to yourself, what, what kind of thought process should you have? Things you should do or things that you should say. So this is all about your internal and external response to the rejections you are getting. Love it. Yep. Yep. Yeah, the things you can control. Every scenario is going to be different, but you can control yourself. That's the, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I mean, one of them is the simple one. I don't know if I shared this earlier, is just listen. And so a lot of times uh, it's like you got to know, and it's because you weren't really listening to the customer's problem or issue. And so you spouted off some solution or something, and it's not in their head, there's miscommunication and it's not what they want. So you end up walking away with a no. Because you're too busy presenting and not listening. But uh, in, that solves, right, there's so many issues. Right. And in reality, you went to, a, you know, you went to a department store to get a new pair of slacks and someone presented you with women's shoes. You're like. <laughs> yeah. I remember, I remember we, walked into a, we walked into a furniture store one time and we were looking for coffee tables and the guy came up and he was like, you have to sit on my favorite sofa and he was really nice he had a lot of passion and he immediately directed us over to the sofa and we sat down and we were kind of like deer in the headlights and he's like what do you think and we were like it's really comfortable and then we got up and kind of walked to the store looked at coffee tables and then we left but it was like he's telling us his favorite sofa we're there for coffee tables right this is that's terrible you're like chuck it's your favorite sofa because it's been here for years because everybody's trying to buy tables and you're trying to talk about this stupid sofa. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, throw it in for free with a coffee table. You might get rid of it, buddy. There you go. 
Well, we're going to bring it in for a landing here, as my man Nate would say, but he's here, he's here in spirit because he's texting me right now. How's it going with Richard and Andrea? Tell him, uh, you know, he, he misses them and wishes he could be here. Oh, um, yeah. So bringing it in for a landing, I would I would like to talk about uh, or, or let you guys go out on where we can find the book. Uh, what's the best way to get to it? Where we can leave reviews that uh, mean the most to you, especially for go for no, but I'm sure the new one's going to be just as good. So uh, what's your favorite place to get a review on the book and where can we find it? Yeah, we, we focus on selling the book almost exclusively on Amazon. So if they go into Amazon, type in when they say no, uh, the book should pop right up. Um, reviews there are very important to us. So that would be nice if uh, they could give an, an honest, an honest review of the book there. And, um, and people are always invited to come to goforno.com. It's just the way it sounds, G-O-F-O-R-N-O.com. And we've got some videos in there. And uh, um, I think our, we got our quiz. We have a quiz in there people can take to kind of see what their, what their no quotient is. And uh, um, that would probably be the best place to get us. Awesome. We appreciate you guys coming on today. Thank you for bearing with me and suffering through my man, Aaron, being on the show today. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you. Aaron was fabulous. You guys are so much fun to talk to because you asked us such interesting questions. So I, I, we could probably talk for three more hours. Whoa. <laughs> Nobody, I can't imagine anyone saying that when yeah. Nate wasn't here because he crushes the question game. But uh, we appreciate that. Thank you. We needed that, Andrew. You have no idea. <laughs> so, yeah, thank, thank you guys so much for coming on. And I'm already looking forward to Waste no day, go for no episode three. Awesome. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Yep. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Waste No Day and the second edition of Waste No Day, Go For No. Um, I'm not really good with these outros and, and having really cool stuff to say like my man um, Nate is and would be if he was here. But remember... Each and every day to get up, waste no day.